the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Then he measured a thousand cubits and led me through the water and it was knee deep. And then he measured a thousand and he led me through the water and it was waist deep. And again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river, very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, the water that flows toward the eastern region goes down into Araba and enters the sea when the water flows into the sea and the water will become fresh. And wherever the water goes, every living creature the swarms will, that swarms will live and there will be very many fish for this water uh, goes there the, that the waters of the sea may become fresh um, and the fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Engelium. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds like the fish of the great sea, but its swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They are left for salt and on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for food and for the, uh, their leaves for healing. Let's now turn to Matthew thirteen thirty-one through 35. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed into in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, Till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he had not he said nothing to them without parable. This was to fulfill what the spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the word world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Water. We as modern people have a strange relationship with water. And I'm not really talking about the filtered stuff in your water bottle here. Um, That's kind of disposable and it's just kind of flimsy in there. I mean the water that surrounds us daily. We see it as an inconvenience and a boundary. Rain is an inconvenient affair and messy affair that cancels plans and frustrates us. And also rivers and oceans we view as barriers. Uh, that we have to figure out some way to cross. We build bridges, build, make ferries. We have to find a way to get across them. They're in our way. But this is actually quite the opposite of how those who came before us viewed water, especially the biblical writers. Rain instead for them sustains plants of the earth and brings life from the ground. And as, his, as one of my history professors once pointed out, The rivers and seas were no hindrance to the ancients, 
But instead, they viewed them as superhighways. We, in many ways, have lost our reverence for the gift of water. For the ancients and the biblical writers to speak of water was to naturally speak of life and prosperity. The more abundant the water, the more abundant life. In fact, when water appears in the scriptures, it's meant to inform us that something important is going on. Rivers and streams traverse the storyline of scripture from the opening pages of Genesis to the close of Revelation. A river runs through it. And so it is no surprise to us as readers that when the Lord speaks hope to his people through Ezekiel, a river is the central focus of the coming redemption. And so as we come to this glorious vision of Ezekiel, we should note the centrality of water as it flows forth from the temple. My first one is this, the flow of holiness, starting in verses one and two. Let's read those again. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east of the temple. And the water was flowing down and from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. And then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Okay, pause for a second. We're picking up at the very end of a complex book of the Bible. It's a little difficult, like to give a little bit of context here of what's going on. Ezekiel, at the end of his his prophetic visions, after seeing in the first half of Ezekiel, the the condemnation of the nations in Israel because of their sin, switches halfway through to the promise of hope and redemption after exile. And strangely, this is one of those portions of scripture that if you're reading through your Bible plan, you might read through this section of Ezekiel really fast because it can be really complicated. Ezekiel is given a very detailed vision of this new temple. And so as we read here, the, the man who is the, the angel, the messenger who is showing him this vision brings him finally after showing him very many detailed plans of rooms and, and different areas of this new temple. He brings him to this doorway before the temple. And from there, that's where we begin this text for the ancient Israelite, the temple as you have read, was a place of holiness because it was the dwelling place of God on earth. It was the touch point between heaven and earth. This is where God met with his people. This was not just a random place or a a particularly a special place. It was the special place in Israel. It was the central focus of the Israelites' understanding of who they were and who they worshipped. This was the place, not just where they went and almost as if it was like a portal where they looked to a far off distant God, but where God himself said his footstool was, where he dwelled among his people. But the problem is that in Ezekiel's time, by the time this is written, the holy place that Israel had, come, had revered and held so closely was reduced to rubble. The city of Jerusalem has been set ablaze and many Jews have been taken into exile. But in spite of this disastrous scenario, all hope was not lost. 
the Lord had not forgotten his people, this vision is one of hope. In in light of all that has happened in Israel, in in spite of all their sin and rebellion, the Lord God is still a faithful covenant God. He keeps his promises, even if we don't. And so Ezekiel, in speaking to an exiled people who are far away from their homeland, looking back and hearing the news of the destruction of their homeland, he points them to a vision of a greater temple in order that they might know that the Lord still sought to complete what he started, to dwell among his chosen in physical and spiritual fellowship. This temple would be a different kind of temple, one that would transcend anything that has come before in the biblical timeline. So what would be so transcendent about it? Note the water, as I pointed out earlier, the importance of water in the biblical text. At Solomon's temple, which had just been destroyed, there was water, but it was contained in a large basin that sat outside the temple, and it just kind of sat there. The priests used it for ceremonial cleansings, and it was water used to sanctify anything that entered the temple uh, and its precincts. But in Ezekiel's vision, the water flows from the temple. Usually when water is flowing out of a doorway, it means something has gone very wrong. It's time to call a plumber. But not here. The river takes life and holiness out from the temple to all that it touches. And it flows freely. It flows directly and purposely towards a great, toward the great hope of Israel, a people in a world were in need of renewal, holy water would flow, was going to flow forth and to bring new life. This is no accident. This is not something random in the plan of the Lord. This is not plan B. This is something new. This is something designed. This is something beautiful. But hold on. Before we get carried away with the imagery of strange measuring lines and a lot of different kinds of fish and, and strange trees growing on the, side of a, uh, on the side of a bank, we can't forget that the first temple of Ezekiel's day was a very dangerous place. The tabernacle and the temple were built in order to be a dwelling place, the very connection point between heaven and earth. But this place was in such close proximity to the glory and holiness of God that without proper Preparation, destruction was sure to come. In the old temple, in order to come before the Lord, one had to follow the strict rules laid out by the law. To fail at this was to deserve death. And this is shown in our scriptures. This holiness was achieved by works, which no one was ever capable of doing. No one is ever able to come perfectly by themselves before the Lord Even with the provisions of the Old Testament, it did not perfect perfect those and make those sinless who came before him, before him in his temple. Yet in contrast to this, this new temple by God's gracious works, the water pours forth from the temple. His people are cleansed. He cleanses his people not because of their works, but because of what he does. It is through this flood that all of creation will be renewed. My first point again, temple water, temple water, holiness and wholeness flows out of the new temple, not in.
Moving on to verses 3 through 6. My second point. Flood water. The Lord God works through small means to do great things. Looking at verses 3 here. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. And again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. And he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed. It's really hard for us as American citizens in the 21st century to get a a good grasp of the sense of loss that the Israelite people in exile feel. The hopelessness in Babylon, far from their ancestral home, given to them by the Lord among a nation that did not only did not know their covenantal God, but was diametrically opposed to him. And now... In this land, taken away, longing to return, instead they received news that they, the home they once knew was forever changed. The glory of Judah had, had been destroyed. This destruction was brought on by their own covenantal God for the nation's covenantal unfaithfulness. Yet, even within their own exile and condemnation, the Lord God was clear. He had not forgotten or totally cast off his people. Thus, as mentioned on the heels of the report of the destruction of the Jerusalem in the first temple, the prophetic word of the Lord turns from one of judgment to a promise of hope. It starts out small. Our God has a pattern of using small things to accomplish his cosmic purposes. The, Psalm, the Proverbs speak of this. Foolishness to the world, but it's wisdom to the Lord. Almost like a small seed that becomes a great tree. And here in in verses 3 through 6, we see something incredible. This small trickle of water that seems so small and insignificant doesn't remain a trickle. Roughly, Roughly a fourth of a mile, and a trickle is a creek. Another fourth, it's a stream. Another fourth... It's a torrent of a, and it's a, it's a torrent of a river. River. This is fast. The exiles were to recognize this mighty change in the size of the river. The word of the Lord may begin, may, work of the Lord may begin in small ways, like through a barren, through the barren womb of an elderly woman, or the redeeming of a redeeming of a slave people, or even the anointing of a shepherd boy. Yet through these small means. The Lord God brought forth a particular people of the 12 tribes from a barren womb. To the exiles, not only uh, to the covenantal nation, brought forth a covenantal nation from slavery. And he brought forth a royal line of kings from a shepherd boy. To the exiles, not only does the water still flow, but uh, but it is the work of the Lord through his people. And it's still growing. It's still marching forth, although it begins in a small trickle. Ezekiel's river could not be stopped. It could not be diverted. That river that takes holiness out into creation overpowers everything in its path. Know this and believe this, 
Brothers and sisters, Jesus taught this in our gospel reading this morning, that that through the parables of the kingdom of God, the parable of the mustard seed is meant to illustrate this exact point. The kingdom of God may look small and insignificant, but we see, we, what we see now is only a shadow of its glory and greatness in full bloom. Take heart, you who are world-weary and beaten down. While we live on this side of the cross, we have still not seen the fullness of the river that flows forth from the very presence of our God. We can have this assurance and hope that although to the world the work of Christ looks foolish, it's, it is ultimate wisdom. Note the small things in your life that are done, like teaching our children the catechism. Uh, it's slow at first, but it takes root over time. It's singing to my kids at night, and then to hear them be able to repeat those words, even though it's, it seems like they're not listening. Speaking that word of gospel comfort and truth to your coworker, it may seem ineffectual. They may seem to brush it off. Yet it is by these means that the waters spread. It is by these means that the Lord works to redeem his people. My second point, flood water. Let's turn finally to verses 7 through 12. I'll just read verse 7. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. My third point, living water. This is one of those times when it's really hard to illustrate better than the biblical text. Friends, take in the panorama of what is happening, what Ezekiel is seeing. It's overwhelming. The water from the temple is living and active. All that it touches springs to life and flourishes. It's a lot different than the river that we have a couple miles away. As the water flows, great trees rise from the ground. Trees of all kinds. Anything you can think of. Fish swarm the new waters like a redeemed aquarium. Fruit trees, beautiful, full of life also rise. The scene is like seeing the most beautiful and the most diverse botanical garden spring up in a place that it doesn't belong. It's overflowing with fresh water, fish, and beautiful trees. It's hard to comprehend the magnitude and the beauty of what Ezekiel is seeing. So let's ask the all-important question that we haven't asked until now. What is this temple And what is the source of the river of life? Are we looking at building a new temple in Jerusalem? This has got to be done so that these things follow. Is that the transcendent thing that brings holiness and life to the nations? The source instead is not a building. It's a man. It is the God-man, Jesus Christ. From his wounded side flows waters, waters flow forth for the life of the nations. In John 7, 37 through, uh, 37 through 39, we read this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, 
Let him come to me and drink, whoever believes in me. As the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This was our text of gospel, assurance, and hope. That from Christ come these living waters. If anyone thirsts, drink. If anyone need, is when one comes to me, whoever comes and believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. These living waters don't come from a physical building, but from a physical man, the one who we have come to know, who invites those who are thirsty, who are desperate to come and drink. The vision pointed to the exiles and pointing, pointing us to look at is beyond the temporal confines of our current situation. And to see that the Lord God has not been still and will not be still ever in his purposes. He is, as he has been from the beginning, he has this purpose, to dwell among his people. For he is our God, and we will be his people. And from the crucified Savior, Jesus Christ, flows forth the life-giving Holy Spirit. You see, the old temple looks back to Eden. This temple looks forward. Our epistle reading is proof of this. We, as we read from Revelation 22, 1, from 1 and 2, what do we see in the new creation? There is no temple. It is Jesus Christ who is the light of the nations and who brings light to all things. Friends, as you and I live our lives, let this be the paradigm that you, that you live out of. If you are in Christ, take courage. Although our outer selves are wasting away, we are being renewed day by day. What we cannot see now will be fully revealed at the end of time. Christ has redeemed you and I, those who are, were insignificant and hopeless, to be part of his grand salvation to a dead people. But this is also a warning to those of you who do not trust in Christ. The hope is not for you without repenting and turning from your sins. Do not be mistaken. The same floods that bring waters of life drown the careless. Friends, if Christ is not the one you trust in, if you are trusting in your own works, being a nice person or just doing nice things or making the right, making the right decisions and being kind to others, you cannot be made right before the Lord. The reward of the old temple is on your head, death. Turn to the living waters for life. Only by the gift of grace can we know these living waters. Yet for those in Christ, notice the overwhelming nature of the waters of life. Do these waters overflow in your life? Is this true of you? Do these flood waters that overwhelm the banks of the Dead Sea overwhelm your heart into, the li- into your life and around into the lives of those around you? My final point, living water. The waters of life bring wholeness to the wholeness of creation. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ may seem small to be a small and insignificant thing. A man dying on a cross 2,000 years ago in a backwater 
uh, backwater Roman province. But from the trickle to a torrent, the rivers flow forth from the threshold of the new temple that is Jesus Christ. It gives hope to those who are hopeless. It gives holiness to those who are sinners. It gives life to those who are dead. May this passage give you that same hope, that the Lord God has not forgotten you, even in your darkest moments, but instead will complete the work that he began. And ultimately, this work will renew the wholeness of creation. In the twinkling of an eye, we will be transformed. Creation will reach its end goal, and we can look forward to the very fount of life everlasting. But for now, while the Lord tarries, let us be partakers of Christ, carried by the Holy Spirit, having a foretaste of the coming glory and being renewed day by day. Let us pray. Lord, our Creator and Father, from the very beginning, at the dawn of creation, you purposed to dwell with the ones you endowed with your own image. You have shown us through your word that your work will not be hindered. You will complete what you started. Continue to teach us these truths which we have heard today. Give us strength through the waters of eternal life which flow from your Son by the Holy Spirit. May we partake of this blessed flow and live our lives as those who have been renewed and healed by the gospel. And just as the water overflows the banks of dry river, uh, the dry river, may the overflow of grace and healing flow out of our own affected hearts and impact those around us. Yet as we draw our eyes away from our present moment, we ask ultimately that you would heal the nations, restore creation, come Lord Jesus and make all things new so that all of creation may be watered by the river of life, and the tree of life would be our physical healing for all eternity. Amen.